Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance welcome everyone to another episode of the nba podcast you can check us on twitter at the nba pod there you will find all three of our twitter handles you can also find us on itunes be sure to leave us a review and download as many episodes as you want uh i'm joined today not only by my usual co-host morton jensen but also mark karenzoulis of the dennis podman podcast mark how's it going Good, Brian. How are you, mate? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us. Where where can our uh, listeners find you on Twitter, and where can they find your work? So they can find me on Twitter at um, my handle is M I won't spell that out, given my last name is yes. twelve letters long. <laughs> Maybe we can attach that to the uh, the feed later on. But um, yes, that's generally where people can find me. Uh, I guess being a little bit of a curmudgeon with the Chicago Bulls this season, but um, they can find me there. They can find me on Dennis Podman with more. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. And um, as well as Chicago Bulls Confidential where I talk Bulls as well. So that's generally where people can uh, find my stuff. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us. And Mort, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Brian. It's really, really cold, but I haven't picked up anything yet, which is unusual because I've been sick for about 17% of the entire show. Oh, gosh. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that this is not the case. This podcast is going to be so weird. This is like having two lovers that you try to keep separate <laughs> and then they meet and it's awkward and you have to lie to get through it. I think that's the plot of like every bad Lifetime movie. So I'm <laughs> glad to live that out today. Uh, our usual other co-host, Sarah Chalea, could not join us today, but she will be back soon enough. Uh, so since we've got two Bulls guys here, we're going to start with the Chicago Bulls this week. Uh, you know, last time we recorded, I think it, it was right before the Bulls-Knicks game. So the Bulls looked really good for a while and they we mm-hmm. all said last time that you know if we could redo our playoff picks they would be a surefire playoff team then they go and drop three straight games starting with that next game uh but they bounce back and have won two of their last three against orlando and in miami they lost in the middle there to atlanta so guys what more have we learned about the bulls uh in the past week or week and a half 
I'll let Mark take this one because Brian, you 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 have a sentence to just set me off. <laughs> yes, Mark, Mark, be my guest. Tell us tell us <laughs> what you've seen from the Bulls lately. Well, I would imagine what I'm going to say is probably what Morton would have said anyway because we have a pretty similar view on the Bulls, and you know, if you listen to Dennis Podman, we we don't very. We don't really uh, disagree with each other. We, we often find each other in agreement with a lot of things, which may not be the, for the best, of, you know, for the best in terms of <laughs> listenership. But um, I look, I, th- I think what we've seen since their three and zero start is obviously they went zero and three thereafter. They, they went on a, a bit of a losing streak, and they've sort of steadied the ship now with a couple wins and and. and looking more like the playoff team that we thought they potentially could be. Um, so they're five and four now, but. I think what we've we have learnt is that they're still going to be an inconsistent team. So that for the last two seasons, you know, Thibodeau's last season and, and Hoiberg's first, they were very inconsistent team. They would go through patches where they would win games, go through patches where they'd lose, um, and and the basis for that would be their their effort defensively. So when when they have been on defensively, they've they've been a really hard hard team to um to beat. But then, when they're not engaged defensively, when they're not trying on that end, then they can, you know, the, the opposition can really put points on them. So, I think that's what we've seen in their losing streak. Whenever they allow teams to score thirty points in the first quarter, you can pretty much assume the Bulls are not engaged defensively, and it's going to be a long night. And um, that, that's pretty much what's happened in every every loss they had. They've had thus far that the, the Hawks game, which is their last loss. The Hawks put up 35 points on them in the, in the first quarter, and of course the Bulls lost that game, giving up 115. So, same inconsistent Bulls, same poor defensive effort, and ultimately that leads to their record hovering around 500, which is pretty much where I thought it would be towards the end of the season. There you go. So, you, you had a feeling this was coming. I had a feeling it was coming. Uh, I, I, look, my ultimate prediction for the Bulls, for just to, just to uh, let your listeners know, was my prediction was you know they'd hover around five hundred, they'd win forty two games and potentially squeak uh, or squeeze into the into the into the playoffs out east, pretty much like they did last season. Even though that they've got a, a remodeled roster, yeah. Um, so I was expecting more of the same, but I guess my tone has been somewhat negative. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, what they're doing now, what I've seen, hasn't been a complete surprise. But um, yeah, I, I would expect more of the same, essentially. Gotcha. So we talked uh, on this podcast last time about Taj Gibson and uh, Doug McDermott being pleasant surprises for the Bulls. I feel like we also should have mentioned Cristiano Felicio because you know he's just like sneaky good coming off the bench. Uh, Morton. I'm going to let you go off if you need to about Rajan Rondo. <laughs> uh, tell me, oh. tell me how you feel about the Rondo era this week. So he actually had a decent game in Miami. Yes, but that's about it. He's <laughs> he's really been horrible um, against the Knicks. Mark, you can correct me if I'm misremembering, but I think he was one of nine, primarily on wide open jump shots. And it's yeah, just, that's it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just such a problem. Like when when the de- defense sacks off and he launches those shots and they they clank and he then he starts chasing offensive rebounds like he's no he knows that they're off and then he gets out of position because of it. It's just everything is so horrible and his defense. Like this was a guy who was 
once viewed as a defensive player of the year candidate year in and year out and now it's he's like gambling he's losing his man he's continuously miscommunicating with Doug McDermott on switches for example something I've noticed he's just he's bad man and not Batman <laughs> but bad man really really bad it's it seems like when he's I think he was brought in to sort of keep the team together like he he was supposed to give shots to to Dwayne and Jimmy and and kind of keep the whole thing on a string and it seems like those guys have had to compensate more and more for his presence and that's that's obviously a major issue it's it makes me wonder how good Jimmy would be with a proper point guard mm. right now because he's Jimmy offensively is beasting but I think he would be even better if he had a guy who could stretch the core at the one position who could help offset like the, the lack of shooting from Wade because I, I know Wade has been somewhat decent shooting wise but like 9 out of his 12 total 3's for the year has come in 2 games so it's not like he's a complete um, you know threat out there like yeah. a, a persistent threat out there so yeah, uh, I I would personally prefer to have Isaiah Cannon start, and I know Brian, former Sixer. Wow. And, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know you're not too impressed with him, but that's where we that's where we are right now. Like with Rondo, he he's a third stringer. He's a third stringer. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you wanted to let Wade kind of be, I want to say like a full time point guard because I feel like Jimmy can also do a little bit of ball yeah. handling, but you could kind of split the duties between Wade, Butler, and Kanan, and that would help address those spacing concerns that we talked about, you know, repeatedly coming into the season in the first week, because uh, really that's Kanan's, that's what he does. He's not really a point guard, but he is a great catch-and-shoot threat, so if you've got him out there, you know, at least it adds a little bit of extra firepower to that starting lineup, and then the problem is the same thing you guys ran into with Powell last year is that I don't necessarily see Rajon Rondo taking kindly to coming off of the bench. I think uh, that's going to be a, a time where ego gets in the way and complicates what could be best for the team, unfortunately. Um, you know, I, I we'll talk about this in a little while, but I just have not been able to watch that much basketball this week uh, due to everything else going on since Tuesday. Uh, so really the only way I've caught up uh, on what's going on with most teams is through my fantasy teams. And I've noticed that Rajon Rondo has been very disappointing so far. So, you know, for your sake, for real life and for my sake, for my sad fantasy team that has him as their starting point guard, I hope he turns it around. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to touch on with the bulls here? Uh, probably, yeah, we probably shouldn't. Uh, just, just because I'll probably go on a on a, on a Rondo tirade myself. So I don't know. Unless you've got something else more, no, I won't continue to harp on the Bulls just because I will continue to harp on them. <laughs> well, th- this is not really harping per se. I think I, I want to give them a little bit of credit. Like Doug has looked better. Mm-hmm. I I don't think, and I I know Mark is in agreement with this, and so are loads of Bulls fans. Doug has not been set up properly for a long time. Like he should, they, they should actually target him to go outside a little bit more. He doesn't get uh, a whole bunch of threes for him. So uh, I think he's prior to the Miami game, he had hit one three in five games, mm-hmm. and he had taken like one point two or something like way way less than he should. He he should be up there taking like fifty or fifty five percent of his shots from outside, and the Bulls 
should use his newfound aggressiveness to actually do something about it. Mm-hmm. And to, oh, to to Fred's credit, Doug did come out shooting a little bit in Miami. I think he knocked down two threes or something like that. But he needs to get outside a little bit more. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he can become. Like, because there is a level of talent and a level of potential there that I think is being a little bit explored right now. And I'm glad that it is that he wasn't just stuck to the bench. So I, I'm kudos to the Bulls to, for making him aggressive. And then, dear Bulls, just use that aggressiveness a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, we, and we mentioned him last week as the kind of big surprise along with Taj. And I think from everything I've seen, he... You know, he was out for a game or two with a concussion, but since he came back, he's been still really good. So it's that's you know the Bulls have a fun young group of players. Uh, they just have this like weird transition year with Rondo and Wade, but I don't think the team is necessarily you know it's not devoid of talent for the future. So I think you guys have some reason for some long term optimism. Uh, we're gonna now turn to two teams that have very little reason for short-term optimism, uh, the Sixers and the Pelicans, both of whom did get their first win in the past couple days. Uh, The Sixers beat the Pacers in overtime on Friday night. Uh, You know, we didn't touch on this in our last episode, but they uh, traded Jeremy Grant to the Oklahoma City Thunder for Ersan Ilyasova. You know, I follow a bunch of Sixers people on Twitter, obviously, and there was a weird amount of backlash uh, to the trade originally. And I think it's mostly because Jeremy was like one of the process guys, you know, he was a second round pick. Uh, He played a lot of minutes, you know, much like most of the players in the Sam Hankey era, his swing skill was shooting (laughs) and he never quite developed that, but he's a great shot blocker. He's really athletic. He's fun on defense. So he's just like a fun guy to watch. If you, remove the he-can't-shoot aspect of his game. Uh, but, you know, Ilyasova has come in and hit the ground running. Like, he's really providing nice scoring pop off the bench, uh, especially with Dario kind of being inconsistent there. So I think there are brighter days ahead for the Sixers from what we can see. Morton, I know you and I, we both picked Buddy Heald for our Rookie of the Year, which we, we that just goes in the trash right now. It's If Embiid yeah. stays healthy, it's him by yeah. a landslide. Uh, and he's frankly one of the only things that has made me smile this week. Uh, you know, on, on election night, he said America was tanking and then tweeted, trust the process. So <laughs> he's once again yeah. a national treasure. Uh, I do want to talk about the Pelicans, though, because Adrian Wojnarowski of The Vertical reported that Drew Holiday is coming back within the next week. Uh, it's not sure, not clear exactly when he's coming back. They said the worst case scenario is next Friday, which means you know his wife uh, underwent brain surgery last month. He took some time off to be with her and their newborn child. Obviously, it's great news that he's coming back soon, uh, just for the health of his family. You would assume he would not be coming back if things were not going great. So happy that the holidays are doing well, but. You know, guys, the Pelicans have been, frankly, one of the biggest disappointments uh, both last year and this year so far. Uh, Mort, do you think Drew can help them turn the season around a little bit? Obviously, yeah. I mean, he's a good defender. He can shoot. He's big, strong, gets to the cup. Uh, And he's probably a better playmaker 
an overall team leader than Tim Frazier, although I will say, you know, he's actually done a pretty decent job from from the point uh, this year, despite their one and eight record. I, Twelve points, eight assists, four rebounds, forty one percent from downtown. I mean, these aren't bad numbers. It's just it's, Drew is better, mm-hmm. and not just statistically speaking, his impact is just wider and, and broader and deeper. Um, I, I kind of enjoy the the fact that we're going to talk about New Orleans a little bit because they have each one more, and both of you are extremely high on each one. And yes. coincidentally, just to tie him together with the Bulls that we talked about before, he would have been the perfect guy to actually retain on the current Bulls instead of, for example, oh, who should we pick? Rashawn Rondo. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, uh, Holiday obviously would be... Uh, a tremendous boost for this team. Whether or not that's going to show itself properly in the win-loss column, that remains to be seen, though, because it just seems like there is something fundamentally wrong with this Pelicans team. It seems like they're just not on the same page. Whether Holgate can put them on the same page or not, I'm, I don't know, honestly, because he's been pretty injured yeah. for his whole tenure in in New Orleans, so he has to like also pick up the chemistry and he has to understand the schemes and uh, i mean there are so many open questions with that team isn't there yeah there really are and i we should mention the timetable is not certain but tyreek evans uh recently snapchatted that i guess that's the verb of how to snapchat he posted a picture on <laughs> snapchat uh showing him working out and saying He's hoping to be back by late November, but mid-December is the absolute latest. So reinforcements are coming for this Pelicans team, but you know I'm just looking at their schedule here. Their next, you know, we'll assume Holiday is back no later than next Friday, which is a game against the Trailblazers. They have the Lakers, the Celtics, and the Magic before that. But then afterward, they have Charlotte, Atlanta, Minnesota, Portland, Dallas, and the Lakers again. So... They really need to right the ship pretty quickly, or they're going to. They might. Same thing happened last year. They just fell into too deep of a hole, and then they kept trying to dig their way out and, like, almost got to 500, but then, you know, they just couldn't quite get over that hill. So, you know, if I'm a Pelicans fan, I'm certainly hoping uh, Holiday is back sooner than later. I'm hoping he stays healthy. You know, we haven't heard anything in terms of his stress reactions. He said over the off season he was totally healthy. It was like his first healthy off season, so he felt great. Uh, so we can just only hope. You know, it, it sucks. Like Anthony Davis is off to such a historic start to the season, and it's brutal that this Pelicans team, you know, they're just so injury ravaged already. Or I guess you know, Drew isn't an injury, but. They're missing so many of their top guys that it's it sucks for Brow that you know he once again might miss a spot in the All Star game or an All NBA spot because his team just doesn't have the firepower to compete. So fingers crossed the Pelicans can get it together and you know we can start again appreciating Anthony Davis for what he is, which is one of the best players in the NBA. Uh, Come on home, Anthony. Come yeah. on home. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure both of you guys would like that. So, Mark, I, I want to ask you about this next topic because Mort and I have both railed against this team 
pretty much <laughs> for the last season. Uh, the Orlando Magic on Friday. Yep. They moved Aaron Gordon to the bench and started Jeff Green in his place. That did not work out well for them. They lost, I believe it was 87 to 74 against Utah. So, Mark, first, should Rob Hennigan, their general manager, be on the chopping block? And second, what would you do to fix this Magic team? Well, it's funny that you asked me this question because I was... I was actually kind of high on the Magic entering this season, and every time they lose, like I feel like I'm just getting a little bit more dumber. If that <laughs> makes sense. Like, like, how did I get this so wrong? But like, I expected them to be, if nothing else, a, a top five, top ten defense. Mm-hmm. And right now they're like 25th or 26th in in, um, in defensive rating, and, and a 29th in offensive rating. So the Magic, even though they've they've won three games, they're arguably one of the worst teams in basketball at the moment and I, do, I don't understand this move of, of putting Gordon to the bench he's he may not necessarily be your best player now but if he's not he's not far off it but he's mm-hmm. definitely the guy who has to bring that franchise forward so I don't, I don't understand why you would bench him if you're going to bench someone it would I would assume it would have to be a guy like a Barker yeah. now I, we sort of talked about it with Rondo before whether there would be any chemistry issues benching a veteran like uh, Barker who is coming into a contract year and he's definitely looking for that big deal maybe that would um, you know really cause some locker room issues so maybe that's why they haven't elected to do that and I guess maybe they're trying to save face as well given they traded Oladipo a a former second overall pick for a Barker maybe they just can't move him to the bench straight away but it is a perplexing move given how good Gordon was looking last year when he was playing power forward and now that they've moved him to small forward and now moving him to the bench so Jeff Green can start. (laughs) It's just a weird situation. But um, look, I don't know if Rob Hannigan should be on the block. I I keep hearing that, you know, from from various sources, whether it be other podcasts or other other pieces of writing that Rob Hannigan should be on the block. But I guess one of the things that I always question when, um, you know, we talk about GMs and their job securities. How much? How much of the decisions they actually or the decisions they pull the trigger on? How much mm. is that them, or how much is that the owner? Yeah. So, I guess with the Orlando Magic, my guess is that a lot of it's being driven by their ownership that they want to get back into 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 the playoffs, and a lot of these rash moves that Hennigan has made. I wonder how much he would actually be. You know, on board with these decisions, or is it something that he's being influenced or being told by management to do? So, I, I kind of feel bad for him. Um, and again, this is just my interpretation. I could be completely wrong, but to me, it looks like it's something that it's more of an organization thing or an organization push by the, by uh, the Magic ownership saying we want established players. Let's move some of our younger guys out. Let's try to be a playoff team, and they've put together a roster that I guess doesn't really make sense and how they get their way through it I don't know I think the only way is that they have to trade one of those big guys whether it's uh, Vucevic or or Biombo or Barker that way they can allow Aaron Gordon to go to the power forward position and build through that guy because he is their future that would be the logical sense to me Um, but logical hasn't been a thing that uh, has been happening too often in in Orlando It's, it's crazy it sure hasn't. You're you're speaking my language right now, man. You you're 
on board with the I mean that's that's how I felt about Sam Hankey. You know, a lot of I feel like his later decisions were driven by ownership yeah. rather than, you know, his own personal choice and I'm gonna to my dying day, I will believe that he wanted to draft Kristaps Porzingis and ownership overruled him and made him draft Okafor. But you, you you definitely bring up some good points. I you know, it it would be crazy to think that he would keep his job if ownership like if he was the impetus behind that Tobias Harris salary dump. Uh, oh. Yeah, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, like that's, especially seeing what Harris has turned into already in Detroit uh, and seeing how badly they they misused that cap space that they freed up to uh, in that trade. So, yeah, I mean, you have to assume that ownership keeps trying to push them into being a playoff team. And it's just like this collection of misfit toys at this point. Like, I think you're totally right uh, in that they have to trade one of the bigs. Uh, presumably, you know, the second they signed Biombo, that seemed to send a signal they were trying to trade Vucevic. But I guess they haven't found a taker or haven't felt the need to actually do so yet. So they're definitely a team to watch in the coming weeks and months because if they don't turn it around... You know, as you mentioned, Ibaka is a free agent at the end of the year. Is he going to really resign with a team that completely tanks? Probably not. So I don't know that they can blow up their roster necessarily, but it does feel like they've got to make some big move to right the ship. Uh, Morton, do you feel validated that we're not the only two who hate everything the Magic have done in the last year? Yes. No, <laughs> honestly, I don't think I've seen anyone be particularly optimistic about Orlando um, after the Jeff Green signing. Yeah. Because that that's when people started asking, what the hell, right? Right. I mean, this doesn't even make a lick of sense. Like, for, forget about the $15 million for one year. It's not about the money. It's about the fact that when you when you get a guy in like him, he's, he's expecting to play. Mm-hmm. And he's not some sort of end-of-the-bench type of guy, though he probably should be, but perception is everything and so you know you just knew okay even if they put him aaron gordon that is at the three he wouldn't he wouldn't play because he would have a competition there right well okay they also signed bismack biombo and traded for serge ibaka didn't trade vucevic so you just knew okay well you weren't going to get you know minutes up front as well so where the hell does that leave the most important asset in the entire organization because hey, you know what? You're short on assets now. You traded two of them for Ibaka. Right. Like the, the whole thing just reeks of incompetence, and you would think that it was Scar Foreman leading the charge with this. Team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think the reason people, aside from the contract, you don't like the Jeff Green signing because, as you said, like it just creates the opportunity for something like what happened on Friday night to move Aaron Gordon to the bench, which should not be happening. Yeah. Like you only have him on a rookie deal for two more years. You need to figure out where he's best, and it sounds like we all agree he is best suited to play the power forward long term. So you already kind of screwed the pooch by trading for Ibaka. Uh, But then, like, why why are you moving him to the bench? If The season's already not looking great for you, so you should maybe start focusing on player development. Like Mario Hazonia, I think he was a DNP, which is crazy. Like this guy was the number five pick two years ago. You cannot, you cannot be benching 
your young <laughs> good players. Yeah. yeah, like why? What are you doing to win a game in a season where you know it's early? They're not out of the playoff race by any means, but they're not looking good. So yeah, prayers up to Magic fans. Uh, good luck getting through this season. So so one final note on the Magic, right? Um, Mark had a pretty good point about the whole Rob Hennigan affair, like, it could come from higher up. Mm -hmm. And I I think there is another example that actually cements that being the case. And that's last year with Scott Skiles. Scott Mm -hmm. Skiles went to management and said, you know, Alfred Payton, no, he's he's not the guy. He's not the guy we should should, uh, play. He's not the, the future point guard. We need someone better. Or, I don't know if he said better, but he... Someone else. And... Nope, they they stuck to their guns with him, even though he's like a complete Rajon Rondo clone in in many capacities, and it makes zero sense. And it does seem like for some reason there is an ownership angle here that that has a sort of vision, I suppose, and are looking to do something uh, now, and and have decided that this is the guy that's that's running the point from. It seems like they have a 2008 Boston mentality, doesn't it? Yeah, like trade. Trade their youngins for uh, veterans, and then let the young guy handle the point guard role. It really does seem that way. And in that case, Rob Hennigan and the Orlando Magic. Um, well, I mean, I'm just saying, Aaron Gordon. We have some, we have some veterans on the Bulls, like, <laughs> and Aaron Gordon looks awfully attractive for, to us. So, I mean, I'm sure we can swing a deal. Just you know, putting it out there, right? Yeah, I, well, I look, think. Here's, here, here's my final point on Hennigan. Now. And I, and I can't overlook this. He, he, he's a product of the Spurs. He's a product of the Thunder. Two yeah. extremely good organizations that are fantastic at drafting, collecting assets, and putting together a team via the draft. Hennigan was on that path. He put together really, uh, maybe an odd, an odd collection of younger guys that necessarily didn't fit. Maybe one or two of them had to go regardless. But he, he put together a nice team of, of high upside, talented guys. And a few of them still remain... But the moves that we're sort of seeing the last couple of seasons, or at least this season, you, you've both touched on them. You've got the Scott Skiles hiring and the Scott Skiles, you know, I, I guess, eventually leaving. But <laughs> Hennigan stole uh, Tobias Harris from Milwaukee. He's not going to just dump him to the Detroit Pistons without someone else being influenced. And... Scott Skiles coming into the organization who obviously had connections with ownership. Again, that doesn't sound like a Hennigan hire to me. So I, I, I feel bad for the guy. Um, I don't think this is, I don't think this is his doing. If you look at his resume of, of where he's been and what he had sort of accomplished in the, in Orlando in, over his first two to three seasons to what we're seeing now, I don't think it's his doing. I think he may be the scapegoat but um, I think that would be unfortunate. And the thing with the Magic is they're probably only one trade away from actually unlocking a, a fun team. Mm-hmm. So if you were to remove one of their big guys, then you can sort of start playing lineups where you've got more uh, Ibaka at center. You can play Gordon at, at power forward. I don't, I don't mind the Jeff Green deal. It's, it's a one-year $15 million deal, but they, they need someone to score the ball. So 
if, if you have Gordon and Barker up front, you can put Jeff Green at small forward and, and you can switch a lot of things with Gordon and, and Jeff Green at three and four. And, you know, you've got Fournier at, at the shooting guard and, and then suddenly you've got some shooting on the floor and you're not necessarily concerned too much about Alfred Payton. So I think they have some upside of of unlocking a, a really fun team that can be a fun athletic defensive team, but they've just got to work out that first trade. Um, and until they do that, I don't see how they're going to turn their season around. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's let's now turn to the Clippers, who are eight and one, I believe. Is that right? Uh, yes, yeah. eight and one. So I wanted to, you know, get some insight from Sarah here because the Clippers uh, they lost to the OKC Thunder uh, last week, I want to say, and then immediately proceeded to blow the doors off of the Spurs, the Pistons, and the Blazers, all three of which are very good teams. So Sarah could not make it today again, but she did email us some thoughts about the Spurs-Clippers game, which I'm going to read quickly here. She said it was no contest. Uh, Both teams were on the second night of a back-to-back. The Clippers just executed the Spurs into the ground. She called them a well-oiled machine, uh, which the Spurs are not. And Blake detonated as usual cp3 played with his usual surgeon-like precision and silly spurs turnovers quickly turned into points lather rinse repeat uh Kawhi and patty were both off scoring wise as well so the spurs just didn't have a prayer there uh so clippers eight and one their only loss is a very close one to okc are they the best team in basketball right now <laughs> well they're outscoring you know, teams by over 15 on average for the year. That's well, pretty dominant. the best dominating. defensive team. Best yeah. defensive team yeah. in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, look, I, <laughs> this is the Clippers. We're not supposed to ask that question. Right. Right? Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't oppose it. It seems like they're hitting on all cylinders. They have... I mean, I was pretty surprised when I looked at their minutes. Like, Lake is leaving them at 31.9. Mm-hmm. It the fact that they now have something resembling a bench, just a little bit more, that that helps matters. Even though I'm not crazy about Wesley Johnson, but uh, and Maurice Spates have not been hot, but he just offers something, and it allows people to take a breath. And for the Clippers who are getting a little bit up there, that might just prove exactly what's needed, at least in the regular season. Who's to say if they can get by San Antonio or? Golden State in the playoffs, but but right now, regular season wise, they look damn good. Yeah, uh, best team in the league right now in terms of regular season. Sure, I'll buy it. Yeah, Mark, are you on board with that as well? I, I want to be on board with that, and, and the reason I want to be on board with that is because Chris Paul is my favorite player in the NBA, and and I just want him to remove any tag of being this choker, this non-winner. I, I just want that perception of him to just be erased as quickly as possible. So I want to want to believe that the Clippers are going to go deep into the playoffs and you know potentially even to the finals. Um, so I, I would love to see that, but again, it, it's nine games in, so it is a small sample. And given what the Clippers do come playoff time, whether it be injury or just crunch time mistakes they they generally find a way to implode so <laughs> yeah. whilst they're humming at the moment I, I i still question whether that will be the case you know towards the end of the season i would hope that that's the case because they're really rolling at the moment but 
you know, they were really good defensively last year. The defense is carried over this year. The offense is always going to be good. It hasn't been great thus far this year, but I th- obviously, you know, we, we all expect it to pick up based on what they've done, you know, historically and, and started to pick up over the last few games. But I, I think we're going to still be asking the same question about the Clippers. And it's not, not necessarily the question of whether the, the team will be blown up at the end of the season, but more so who is their small forward in, in crunch time minutes in, in the playoffs. Yeah. So, you know, I was watching the OKC game last night versus the Clippers. And they came away with a win, but they had uh, Jamal Crawford essentially playing small forward. Yeah. Now, you, you can't do that against the Warriors or even the Spurs or, or or Cleveland should they make it to the finals because, you know, you've got LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant to go against and there's no chance that JJ Reddy can stop them. And, of course, if JJ can't do it, then Jamal Crawford has no chance in house. So... <laughs> You know, I, I think they still need that small forward option. Um, I would love to see them get their hands on Wilson Chandler or someone similar Ooh, that, that can fun. play a role and, and, and spot up in, in, you know, in the offense and hit a three and potentially even play some small ball four as well. But that that would be cool to see. But I, I think that will be the question for the Clippers come the end of the season is who who is that fifth guy? Just as it's pretty much the same question we've had with them for, for quite some time now. But... Mm. I mean, right now they're humming, and yeah. they are probably the best team in the in the NBA at the moment, which is definitely definitely a positive. Yeah, I mean, if anything, it just speaks to the value of continuity. You know, there's been talk about like blowing up this big three for quite some time, and the fact that they didn't bow to that pressure, and they said, "No, we we have a good core. You know, we have a 50-55 win core. We just need to gel, and we need Blake not to break his hand punching someone." Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I think. You know, if they're not the best team, they're right up there. Uh, I think you could make an argument for Cleveland, Golden State. You know, we talked about them last time. Their talent is kind of overwhelming right now. They still have some issues to work out, which is expected given how much roster turnover they had this offseason. I mean, I still, if I had to pick today, I would still pick the Warriors to win the title just because of that talent. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think the Clippers, you know, we – I think all three of us, uh, Morton, Sarah, and I, before the season started, we had the Clippers as number two in the West ahead of the Spurs. And there's nothing that I've seen in these past 2.5, almost three weeks uh, to make me think otherwise. So good job, Clippers. Keep it up and don't screw up in the playoffs. So (laughs) we are going to turn now to our Where Amazing Happens segment. Uh, And I think, you know... We have to start with the big news of the week, not just in the NBA, but in the U.S. and the world, frankly. Uh, yeah, I did get a haircut, Brian. <laughs> that was that was plastered on CNN this morning. Good, yes. Uh, so we, the Americans, uh, elected Donald Trump to be their 45th president. Uh, a number of NBA coaches have voiced their opinion about the election uh, since it happened. And I actually, I want to read the quotes from Stan Van Gundy, Steve Kerr, and Greg Popovich, because I think, you know, they, they frankly, their sentiments are very interesting. And, you know, I've got a Danish guy and an Australian guy on this podcast. So I think this is going to be a very unique perspective hearing what you two have to say, but let's, so we'll start with Stan Van Gundy. He said, I don't think anybody can deny this guy is openly and brazenly racist and misogynistic. We have just thrown a good part of our population under the bus, and I have problems with thinking this is where we are as a country. 
Steve Kerr said, it's tough when you want there to be some respect and dignity and there hasn't been any. Then you walk into a room with your daughter and your wife who have basically been insulted by his comments and they're distraught. Then you walk in and you see the faces of your players, most of whom have been insulted directly as a result of being minorities. Popovich on Friday said, right now he's just trying to formulate thoughts. It's too early. I'm just sick to my stomach. Not basically because the Republicans won or anything, but the disgusting tenor and tone and all of the comments that have been xenophobic, homophobic, racist, misogynistic. I live in that country where half of the people ignored all of that to elect someone. So before we get into this, I mean, we're not going to talk about Republican or Democrat. This is not about that. Uh, I want to just shout out the NBA for giving players and coaches the freedom to talk about these things. You know, if you compare this to the NFL... Very few people have spoken out publicly about not necessarily who they were supporting in the election, but you know, since Tuesday, there have been a terrifying number of hate crimes that have been committed in this country, uh, many of which are people who are using Donald Trump's name when they're doing these things. So the fact that the NBA has been so vocal in their opposition, not necessarily to Donald Trump, who I think anyone in this country can agree we're all hopeful that he surprises us all and turns out to be a better president than expected but you know so far he has not spoken out about the people doing these actions in his name which is disgusting and no republican leadership has either so i think that's what's rubbing all of us wrong and including the nba you know they're the predominantly black league and the people committing these atrocities want nothing but harm to those, to the the majority of the NBA. So guys, I want to hear what you have to say. I mean, what's, what's been the reaction to what happened in the last couple of days in Denmark and Australia? Uh, So here in Australia, I think everyone is completely, perplexed by by the whole thing like we, we just don't understand how something like that could possibly have happened um i, I mean to give you an idea of, of what that means um one of our newspapers here a, a sydney newspaper uh, the daily Tele- daily telegraph the day after trump was elected the uh, i guess the front page was a picture of trump and uh, wtf was the headline <laughs> so um I guess that sums up the sentiment here in Australia. And, and again, just another anecdote. Uh, I was sort of explaining to Maud, but at, at my place of work, there there is a, a TV in the kitchen area. And the US election was during our day. So we we're sort of finding out that Donald Trump would, would be the president-elect probably midday our time, maybe a little bit later, or at least when it was starting to look like he, he had the upper hand and was you know, was in the box seat to becoming the president. Yeah. Um, so that was around that time. And I, I was just standing there watching it. And, and a guy came up to me at work and just said, you know, I won't say exactly what he said because there's a few <laughs> expletives in there. But his comment was essentially, how can America not see, like the rest of the world, that Donald Trump is, you know, insert um, several expletives. So yeah. I guess from here, from our point of view, from an Australia point of view, and not that I can talk for the entire country, but 
at least for the the people that I converse with and, and, and the people at work, my friends or whoever it may be, that we just don't understand how a country like America can, one, have a guy like Trump running in the start, in the first place, but then to allow him to run and then have half the country say, this is the guy that we want to be the most powerful man in the world. Yeah. It's, it just literally makes no sense to an outsider at all. It, it's, it's completely perplexing. And obviously, there's a good chunk of America that, that feel the same as well, given that the protests that have been going on, obviously not everyone's uh, happy about the decision, but uh, from, a, from at least my perspective, it is completely, it's completely baffling. It's, yeah. it, it feels like we're in, in one of his reality shows. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is a, I wish this one got canceled. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, I, he definitely tapped into anger and people thinking that the government was ignoring them. Uh, and I don't want to equate and say all Trump supporters are racist because I don't believe that. I do believe that a grand majority of racists are Trump supporters. I'd be very floored if it was 50-50 between Trump and Hillary, just based mm. on, uh, you know, again, the, the number of hate crimes. I, I want to shout out Sean King on Twitter, um, works in New York Daily News, and it's he's just been compiling uh, kind of all the incidents that he's hearing from, you know, people are sending him, like, uh, things from like middle schools and high schools and colleges like it, it they're just atrocious um so again you know it's not even about the politics at this point like I, I am not even thinking about january 20th when he gets inaugurated and i that's what you know i think that's what stood out to to me at least from the quotes from stan van gundy and steve Kerr and pop they're not thinking about him as the president they're hopeful and you know ernie johnson was saying the same way and charles barkley said the same thing like everyone wants him to succeed because we don't have another choice at this point but we also don't want civil liberties to be trampled upon because uh, you know we, we fought for too long and too hard to advance forward and now just the wave of anger that has swept over in the last couple of days is really it's scary uh, so more, uh, are you, you guys are equally perplexed in Denmark, I'm guessing. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so it's the other way around for me in terms of, I woke up to the news. Yeah. I wasn't awake when it happened on uh, like Mark. Um, so that day, and that's just pure coincidence. I actually had to spend the entire day at the largest TV, uh, channel in Denmark. So, you know, you had editorial and, and online news coverage and, and everything so I was like smack down in the middle of a bunch of reporters and journalists uh, reacting to, to the election and uh, man I mean going throughout the course of that day inside that that large building and listening to people react to it it, it was the same kind of disbelief and again it wasn't necessarily about Trump it, yeah the, the, the vast majority of the, the debate that I heard was, I can't believe how many people decided to to use the logic, well, I just don't want to vote for Hillary, mm -hmm. so that's why I'm voting for the worst candidate. 
Like, it's because their entire logic is built on the fact that Hillary is, is not the right candidate for them. They consider her a bad candidate. And I don't disagree with that. I, I thought she was horrific. I don't I don't like her at all. I, I would understand that perspective. But if you don't want to support a bad candidate, why would you then throw your support to someone who's worse? That, that was really what complexed us the most. Because, um, so a lot of these reporters have been in the States, compiling bunch of interviews, like a, a lot, a lot, a lot, both on video, some on text and whatever. And it, it was like the vast majority of responses from Americans was, you know, from those who voted Trump was, well, it's because it's not Hillary. That's the perplexing part. And then when you add to it that 46.9% of voting eligible Americans didn't vote, it just seems it seems weird, and I, I know we're probably going to lose a hell of a lot of listeners just going all political. But I don't care, and I the reason I don't care is for something else. Because remember, for how many years people complained that Michael Jordan did not use his position to speak out on issues. God damn it, Michael Jordan, speak out on issues with your profile. <laughs> Now players or co- and coaches speak out and people are like, stick to goddamn sports. Stick to it. Like, make up your mind, people. What the hell? Yeah. I mean, come on. You can't have it both ways. That's just idiotic. Look, I love the fact that the NBA allows for these sorts of um, think tanks for between coaches and players. This isn't, like you mentioned, this isn't the NFL. Like, yeah. they want their players and their coaches and themselves to have personalities. Personalities that every human soul have their rights to. I Look, Tom Siller of SP Nation actually wrote a bunch of tweets. I don't remember if it was yesterday or today, my time. But people started in his mentions going all, stick to sports, yeah. unfollowed, I don't want to listen to all this, yada, yada, yada. Look, Tom Siller, first and foremost, is a goddamn human being. Mm -hmm. He is a sports writer secondarily. Right. And that's a huge problem that I have. The people are somehow telling us who write about sports or talk about sports that you can't have an opinion. You're, in my eyes, you're the guy who talks about sports. How dare you break that, that, that ideology I have of you? Well, screw you. I'm sorry. This is Jesus. We're going to lose a lot of listeners. Well, screw <laughs> you. I mean, that I'm a I'm a person. You're yeah. a person. I can see, look. We have been on webcam for when we started podcasting, Brian. I have never seen you this physically, visibly defeated. I mean, goddamn it, man! You were almost goddamn crying right before because I know how hard this is on you. I know how hard it is on many Americans. I have so many friends in the states who are in complete disbelief and yeah i i know i'm ranting right now and i apologize (laughs) but look i hope for the best as well obviously i do but i do believe that in america there is a tendency to watch the news that you prefer instead of seeking out information that is objective yeah i'm talking about especially fox news right where the the old white man is sitting there <laughs> watching some report that has been as a you know rigged basically just to use the trump word rigged in, in the editing process and going hey honey look at that look look there's that black fella who did something wrong i was right i was right didn't i tell you that <laughs> black fella come on now yeah. come on now 
like seriously this this is about a media this is about the media actually playing the biggest part in in making this whole election just bad shit crazy uh, and this isn't even about trump anymore this right. isn't about trump or hillary this right. is just about the the grounds for how people voted like so many people just said they they based their entire decision on one one thing maybe yeah like I serious. I swear to God, I saw a clip, and this is ridiculous. Like this is a this is a guy who voted. And I said, "Well, you know what? Uh, I couldn't really decide, so I flipped a coin, and it, it actually landed on Hillary. But I like Trump's hair better. Ha ha ha! God damn it! You shouldn't have a vote. Yeah. Like, and and that would go the other way as well. Right. Like, right. I wouldn't want a person to vote for for the right choice if it didn't feel right to them. Yeah. Like, just because. And and if you base it on something weird, no, don't like take it seriously. Yeah, take it seriously. Acquire information, seek out information. Don't go to the news channel that you know will just feed you what you like. Seek it out, man. I just and to, for to that point, more, like minutes. another thing that, like from from again from my perspective, that was just completely jarring. <clears throat> the fact that. So many people wrote in a dead gorilla's name yeah. as their next president. I'm like, yeah. are you serious? Oh, wow. yeah. And given how close the race was in certain states and I guess overall as well, it's like, how, how is, how are you doing that? Like, I'm laughing now because that's all I can really do, but mm. I like, I just don't understand it. And I guess to reiterate a couple of things, like, well, not necessarily to reiterate, but I guess the interesting thing now will be right, what's done is done. Trump has been elected president, but yeah. how how the world reacts to that will be interesting. So, a few politicians here in Australia have been quoted quoted saying some pretty negative things about Trump during the campaign. So, for example, our opposition leader referred to to Trump as um as barking mad. We've <laughs> <laughs> had someone who's in government now who. You know the Liberal Party who govern the Australian, the Australian or Australia really. Um, one of their ministers referred to Trump as a dropkick. So these were comments that were made during the campaign. So it'll be interesting now to see how people backpedal and <laughs> yeah, and, and and what they be, begin to say about Trump. And obviously, it's going to it has to be somewhat positive. So you know, in order to keep these world relations humming along, <laughs> hopefully positively. But um, yeah, it'll just. I guess what's done is done now. It is perplexing, and we could probably harp on it for quite some time as yeah. to <laughs> as to how it all unfolded. But hopefully, just from here on out, it's yeah, people come to their senses. I guess. Yeah, I yeah. mean, the reason I brought it up in the first place, aside from what the coaches said, is that you know, it's honestly been hard for me to focus on sports uh, since Tuesday, and it's weird for me to say because I. You know, I write, I podcast, I work, I'm an editor, full-time, a sports editor, and it's just been hard to focus on something that is ultimately meaningless. Like, you know, I think about a week ago, I was downtown, in downtown Chicago, celebrating with five million people, the Cubs winning the World Series, and like, it's great and exciting, and it rallies the whole city together, but it ultimately doesn't matter. You know, it's just sports. It does it has no tangible impact on someone's well-being unless you are mm. unemployed by a sports team. Uh, so I think you know, I it's like I admire NBA players for being able to 
continue on with their jobs. Like, it must be really hard right now. I mean, Carmelo Anthony, uh, I saw some comments from him on ESPN, and Chris Paul talked to, I think it was Kevin Ding of Bleacher Report, uh, about how they had to explain this to their nine-year-old and eight-year-old kids and, like, how their kids are now scared. Uh, so they are playing, you know, they woke up Tuesday and played a game that night and now they wake up Wednesday and it's like their entire world is different. So I think it's, you know, I think it's important ultimately for NBA fans to empathize with that and realize that these guys are millionaires and they are very privileged to do what they do. Uh, but even their worldview is now different because of what happened and it's going to be on their minds even while they're trying to escape and use sports as their escape uh so you know i you mark you said it well we could go on uh about this for hours but i just we had to talk about it just because it's gonna have a big effect on the nba and everything else in this country so on a brighter note the cleveland cavaliers did make their trip to the White House on Thursday uh, after for winning the championship back in June. Obama made a 3-1 joke about the Warriors, which cemented him. We're going to build a new Mount Rushmore and just have four faces of Obama. Uh, he also made a joke about J.R. Smith wearing a shirt and how he wasn't sure if the shirt was going to make an appearance at the White House. Again, cementing his... Four Mount Rushmore faces, Chris. I just cannot imagine uh, Mr. Trump making similar jokes next year. And I will say, you know, LeBron has already spoken out and said he's not sure if he, he's going to go to the White House now if they win another ring. And Richard Jefferson on Snapchat said, how cool we're, we're the last NBA team to go to the White House. So that'll be, that'll be a, a fascinating subplot to watch uh, next fall. The other big storyline... Uh, that came out in the past week or so was Mark Cuban versus ESPN. So forget, I think SB Nation was the one who originally broke the story. Uh, Cuban temporarily rescinded the credentials of Mark Stein and Tim McMahon, both of whom were based in Dallas. Mark Stein's a national writer. McMahon used to be a Dallas beat writer. Now he's kind of focusing elsewhere. Uh, Cuban said that he was unhappy ESPN didn't have someone covering the Mavericks full-time, said it was partly concerned that automated game reports could eventually replace human-generated content. Recently, I think within the past day or so, ESPN has resolved the dispute. Uh, They said, you know, we're not necessarily going to have a human at every game, so when we're not, uh, we'll use the AP for the Associated Press, which is standard practice for a lot of places. If you read any recap on ESPN, it's pretty much all of the recaps themselves are AP, and then they have reaction from other writers, and that's how pretty much every major website does it. Uh, They also said they're going to now link to team sites, such as Mavs.com, in their game recaps. So, you know, this is... Uh, another thing that's going to hit home for the three of us, because we are in the basketball profession. Um, who, who did you find Cuban's argument to be credible at first, uh, and then do you think it's a good idea the way ESPN resolved 
this dispute to kind of uh, say we're going to start linking to other team-based sites, which I guess for the Bulls would be <laughs> Sam Smith. <laughs> oh, no. That, that, that would be a bad decision. I, I, I might <laughs> prefer a computer than <laughs> just just quietly. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I mean, it's an interesting situation. It was it was it was typical Cuban being overly brash and and uh, going to an extreme to to get his point across. And I, I think when it first broke, the news broke. It was kind of like, what the hell is going on here? What you know, what whatever they done or said to about the Mavericks for it to be for him to just all of a sudden ban these guys or, or remove their, their credentials. Um, so you, initially when, it, when the, the tweet came through from SB Nation, you, you thought something negative may have happened with the writers doing something or something of that nature. At least that was my interpretation. Mm-hmm. But it was Cuban making a stance. And, and until we found out what that stance related to, it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And he took, a, a, I guess, a lot of heat for what he did and, and probably still will. For, for the actions he took anyway because they, they were so extreme but I don't know if the resolution is necessarily uh, one that's sustainable so I mean linking to sites and doing those sorts of things maybe it appeases Cuban for now but w- whether it does long term I'm not too sure but uh, yeah look I, th- I think it's just Cuban being Cuban really just doing his thing being extreme and, and in order to raise a point and to raise a I think a pretty valid point mm-hmm. um, in terms of you know the whole sports writing piece um, you know he, as you mentioned uh, Stein and McMahon are Dallas guys and I'm sure they've both got relationships with Cuban so from his perspective I don't think it was anything personal with those guys but he had to make a stand and and I, th- I think it's a fair one I, you know Maybe maybe he's, he's a little bit entitled, thinking that the Mavericks needed, uh, you know, this this coverage, and, and I, I guess maybe every team needs that coverage. But it, with the way technology is going these days, and the way sports writing is moving as well, it, it's sort of it's it's not surprising that ESPN have done what they've done, and, and to a degree, I guess it's not super surprising that Cuban did what he did, even if it was so brash. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a way. Cuban was actually defending basketball journalists. You know, he was saying they yeah, should not totally. they should not have these automated recaps, and he was basically suggesting that you know, if he's saying the Mavericks should have a beat writer, he's saying every team should have a beat writer, basically. Correct. Uh, yeah. So, and you know, if it was economically, uh, if it made the economic sense for ESPN to do so, I'm sure they would. Uh, but you know, it, in that sense, I definitely support Cuban because that he's frankly just trying to give more people jobs in basketball which is in basketball writing which is great and it's you know it's hard enough to get a job a full-time job covering a team in this field so you know if if we can stave off the robots a little bit longer i think you know all all the credit to cuban for that um and even this resolution that they reached uh, you know linking two team sites you guys you know joked about sam smith but yeah, you know, we well know Bobby Corrala, who works for Mavs.com. Like, yep. if if Bobby's going to be on ESPN now, that's great. It's just more exposure for a really smart writer. And the, you know, Cooper Moorhead of Heat, uh, Brian Seltzer of the Sixers site. Like, the most of the team sites, especially the ones that are being run by younger writers, um, you know, they're all great. And I I would love to see their work more heavily promoted, not just on the team site, but on ESPN if, if it 
comes down to it, you know, if CBS and Yahoo and all those other big sites start following a similar format, like it's only going to be good for the basketball writing profession. So Mark, I think you're right in that it was Cuban was definitely doing his own thing and making a bigger show of it than he needed to. You know, he could have just released a statement right away and kind of diffused the tension. I think, the news broke yeah. on a Friday night, I want to say, Friday or Saturday, and then he didn't speak to the AP uh, until Monday, explaining why he was doing what he was doing. So there were a couple days where people were, <laughs> were comparing him to Donald Trump and saying he's not giving fair yeah. access to the press and blah, 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 uh, which was obviously not the case. You know, it turns out he's supporting uh, free, fair press. So yes. it was it was definitely a uh, <laughs> an interesting a couple of days in Mavs world while the rest of their team is hurt and nursing injuries. Uh, so let's, so oh, sorry. Just, just one, just one note here because there is actually a rights issue that no one's talking about Oh, because in terms of linking team sites to ESPN, mm-hmm. the NBA.com is actually owned by Turner. That's a good point. So there might be a conflict there that needs resolving. So I believe Ma- uh, the Dallas Mavericks is the only team that has like a standalone site that's just called Mavs.com. I haven't checked for a while, but it actually was Mavs.com for a while and not NBA.com slash Mavericks. Yeah. Even though that would redirect them to there. So that may- might be how they get past this because ESPN and Turner are, after all, competitors and there would be an issue regarding those you know, interlinking possibilities. Yeah. So that's something that needs to be considered. Yeah, that's a very good When point. I first heard this story, there's another angle to it that I thought about first before Cuban elaborated on why, what he did. So ESPN actually has a Dallas section. They have something called ESPN.com slash Dallas. Mm-hmm. And given that there's also like an ESPN Chicago and ESPN New York and whatnot, and those teams, those those the, the NBA teams on those sites have full time writers. Like for Chicago, it's Nick Friedel. Yeah. Um, then I actually thought that it was a question of ESPN Dallas not having a steady full time beat writer. And then suddenly it came out about automated game recaps. I was like, oh, okay, this took a totally different yeah, turn right. than I expected. But like, I totally agree with you guys. He's actually helping the little guy here. Uh, trying to to say, you know what? Don't turn everything into robots. Give him, give him a pen. Give him a computer. Let them get go to work. And, and hell, Mark, I appreciate that. Uh, that's nice. Thank you. Uh, not that I have any shot in hell at getting on maps.com, but I mean, <laughs> look, just the mere notion that he's opening up to to everyone is great. And to your point about Bobby Carella, Carella, sorry, great guy. Couldn't. Uh, there's not. Anyone, there's not a Mavs guy out there who deserves it more to to maybe go on ESPN a little bit more and 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 you know be a, a voice for the Mavs. He is just he is a tireless worker. Like you should all follow follow him. He's a great guy, really really terrific, top to bottom. Yeah, yeah, that's just, a good. Just a, oh, sorry, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, just a random thing that popped into my mind. Like I'm like, I wonder how much of Cuban Cuban's outburst is in relation to the Warriors. So, like, before this Warriors season started, and it was similar to when the Heat first joined up as well, how the whole Heat index started oh to God. form and how there's, 
you know, there's quite a few riders now sort of jumping from where they were and then coming into the Golden State area to write for whatever platforms they are, but to, to focus on the team. So obviously Anthony Slater moved from his Oklahoma, yeah. um, his Oklahoma beat you know, to, to follow the Warriors. I'm pretty sure a few other guys did as well. So I, I, their names are escaping me as to who did it at the moment uh, during that off season. But I wonder how much of it is born about good quality riders leaving you know, other other incumbent teams to go focus on a team like the Warriors who already had a ton of national national coverage where, you know, Cuban is seeing team good teams losing their beat riders to go follow a team that is already absorbed so much. Um, so I wonder how much of it was, um, how much of his position was sort of born out of that as well. Yeah, that's a really good point because like Brian Windhorst, you know, followed the Heat. Like he used to cover the Cavs and then left. I think he was the the plane dealer when he was with the Cavs, and they left to cover the Heat with ESPN. And I think uh, Chris Haynes is another guy. He was the Akron Beacon Journal, and now he's with the Bay Area News Group. So yeah, that's a really good point. Maybe he's you know he's miffed about the uh, the Warriors. Attracting so much attention, like the Heat did a couple of years ago, he's just trying to make basketball journalism great again. So, thanks, Cube. He just wants to. He just wants <laughs> people to understand that Harrison Barnes is playing decent. Yeah, that's, that's where it is. Yeah, that's that's where it is. Harry B. earning that uh, max contract. So let's. Yeah, what the hell? You know, let's get back to the basketball thing. Now that we we're talking about Dallas, okay. So I, I love the fact that Barnes is balling his ass out right now. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. This was still a gamble. Yeah. Like, he had not, at any point over the last couple of years, had a chance to test himself, like, off the dribble to a larger extent against NBA teams. He looked awful in the playoffs. He looked as though he, he was just... He, he had trouble with hitting just open shots, and everything just seemed to, to fall apart from this guy. And when he did put the ball on the floor, he looked uncomfortable and, and rushed and everything. So when he signed that max seal, I mean... Look, I, I I was opposed to him, for example, coming to Chicago, and I know a lot of Bulls fans had that debate, mm-hmm. and because they said, oh, you know, but he is going to be great. Of course he is. And I still, to this day, am going, well, you don't have any proof of that. You don't have data of him becoming great. You have nothing to really build that assumption on except raw guesswork. Like, obviously, Dallas has way more uh, intel than we have access to, so... If they somehow knew beforehand that they were getting him uh, and letting him become like a primary scorer and whatnot, kudos to them. But I still look at the, this as them getting a little bit lucky yeah. in terms of him actually succeeding the way that he is. Like 22 a game, like no one saw that. Yeah, and it's also worth noting Dirk's been out for a couple games with Achilles soreness. Darren Williams is out as well, so... Some of it is just by necessity. Like, they just need someone to score that many points, and Wes Matthews can't hit the broadside of a barn to start the year. Uh, so, you know, volume is helping drive some of that. But, yeah, Barnes is playing really well, and it's good to see, you know, even Definitely. <laughs> even Warriors fans are like, oh, okay, that's good work, Harry B. Nice <laughs> to see that. 
Uh, I'm still waiting for someone to say, oh, we should have kept Harry and then <laughs> just not let Duran come aboard. Yeah, yeah. You know someone's going to say it at some point. There's, there's definitely a, a hot take coming when Durant <laughs> falls into a slump and Harry B is still balling out. You should have kept Harry B, man. Come on. Yeah. yeah. That KD fella? No. no. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's wrap things up here with our My Crush segment. Uh, Mark, we do a thing every week where we shine a spotlight on a guy who is not necessarily getting the attention he deserves. Harry B might be Sweet. such an example. Uh, but Mort, I want to start with you because you've got an anti-crush, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm just going to start out by saying that I, I do think there's a load of potential here and it's way early in the season, but I've been kind of disappointed with Alan Crabb. Like he got $75 million and he's he's getting he's getting the minutes he's getting 30 minutes a game and he's sitting at 9.6 points he's not become this third weapon that we talked about in our season preview of the the Blazers and th- there's a sense of me that believes he's either being underutilized or that he just doesn't offer a whole lot more than than scoring when his he, he is on his playmaking has gone up a little bit and it seems like he does have some potential to build that area of his game but he's not like a standout defender he's not strong on the glass he doesn't really offer a whole lot and when you pay that kind of money you do need that little extra bit of production because i'm worried when i see both him and evan turner not produce a whole lot and they're getting paid 145 million over the next four years that is a lot of money that you could have spent theoretically elsewhere to get some production especially like for a big man i mean hell they need a a big who can do a little bit more like no disrespect to miles Plumley or, or uh no that's not miles mason miles? mason yeah mason yeah. right oh god all the Plumley boys yeah. man jesus too, mason too many too many and he's actually doing pretty great like averaging four assists a game and he's he's becoming like a, a playmaker and everything but look they just they needed something else, and for them to justify signing Crab and Turner to those deals and and foregoing a big man essentially, then those guys need to show up. Like Turner, I don't have any hopes for. It was a bad signing from day one, but Crab um, definitely thought he w- he would contribute a little bit more. But again, it's it's early, ten games in for him. Uh, the the ship has not left uh, the harbor yet. The fat lady hasn't sung yet, so. But still, slightly concerned. Yeah, slightly concerned. That's fair. And, and to be fair to Portland, they did sign Festus Azili, but he had a setback recently with his knee, so we don't know if mm. or when he will be making his return. It feels very Andrew Bynum esque at the moment. Yeah. yeah, sorry, sorry to bring those memories up, Philly fans. Just keep keep Azili away from any bowling alleys, uh, Mark. <laughs> How how about you? Who who would you like to shine a spotlight on this week? So so forgive me if this has been mentioned before, but I, I, I would I guess my crush at the moment, aside from my constant crush for Chris Paul, would be Dwight Howard. Actually, nice. That's a good one. So I, I guess Dwight is one of those guys that is is a victim of his his perception. He obviously had a poor stop in LA and a, and a pretty average run there in Houston, particularly last season with things how things played out. And I think he was vilified. He was made the scapegoat. And 
you know, who knows how much he was to blame for what happened in, in Houston last season. But in terms of what's happening at the moment, he's been really good for the Hawks, and the Hawks haven't really lost a step with the transition from Horford to Howard. And, and if anything, they look like a more rounded and complete team, particularly defensively. Um, so, I mean, just, just, just to think about the Hawks last season, they were one of the worst rebounding teams in the league last season. In terms of rebounding percentage, they were 28th last season. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we're early in the season, but they're second in rebounding percentage. Um, in terms of offensive rebounding percentage, they were last in the league last season. They're now, I want to say, third off the top That's of my right. head. So, yeah. I mean, whether you want to credit all of that to Dwight Howard or not, you, you can, um, you know, there's obviously other players on the court that are helping out in those areas, but he, he clearly has he, uh, clearly has affected their rebounding to the point where they're now actually one of the league's best re- rebounding teams and their defense hasn't fallen off at all. So they're second last season in, in defensive rating and they're, they're second in defensive rating again. So they haven't lost a step in defense. They've become a better rebounding team. Sure, they lose Horford's mid-range ability, which you know is something that they, they used a lot in the pick-and-pop last season. But Dwight has been really, really good. And it just by chance, the Celtics are now one of the worst rebounding teams in the NBA. <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to blame that all on Al Horford because that, the Celtics weren't a great rebounding team last season either. But I'm just happy for Dwight because you know he's, he was a guy that had a lot of negative perceptions out there. And I'm, I'm just happy that he's playing well, contributing, and has really turned around a turn that franchise around markedly in, a, in something they really needed. Yeah, for sure. And to be fair to Boston, Horford's been out for like a week and a half now with a concussion, so the rebounding thing is not all yeah. their fault. Uh, but, no. yeah, I mean, I I think I might have been the highest on Horford coming or Howard coming into the season out of the three of us between Morton and Sarah and I. But we, we all, in our uh, division preview for the uh, Southeast, you know, we, we mentioned that's like – we were not sold that his decline in LA and Houston meant he was done being an elite, uh, right. you know, option. Like yeah. I, it was just, he was in some bad situations and Houston like just refused to use him in the last year. But yeah, it's, it's awesome to see him thrive because let's be real. The NBA is just better when you have more elite talent and Dwight Howard, despite getting up there in age still has that potential. Uh, so mine this week, I mean, aside from Mr. Van Gundy, Mr. Kerr, and Mr. Popovich for their uh, courage in expressing their thoughts uh, over the coming or over the past few days, if we're gonna focus on someone on the court. It's got to be my boy Otto Porter. Uh, you know, coming out of yeah. Georgetown, uh, nice. I I couldn't have foreseen him having a game where he has 34 points, 14 rebounds, four assists, three blocks, three steals, and three threes, which he did against Boston in a 118-93 win. You know, he did something similar against Syracuse one year where he just uh, picked apart their 2-3 zone by standing at the foul line and raining jumpers on their head all day. But I, he's definitely more of that glue guy where... You know, like his line against Cleveland on Friday was 11 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists, 1 block, 1 3. That's more what I thought you would get out of Otto, just filling in gaps. He's not going to be your primary scorer. But this year, he has really made some strides. And, you know, he's shooting almost 60% from the field. That's going to regress. It's just a small sample size. Uh, But, you know, with Bradley Beal, 
you already strained the hamstring. Uh, you know, you just don't know. You can't count on him necessarily being available all the time. And Otto is really stepping up as this reliable sidekick to John Wall. Uh, so I think, you know, if, if there's already talk about, you know, speculation about how long can John Wall be in Washington, Otto is going to be the guy who could help keep him there, I would think. So I'm getting, you know, shout out to my boy Otto. You're doing Georgetown proud. Keep it up, buddy. Shout out to Tony Snell back in the day making Otto look like a damn fool, by the way, since we now have the Georgetown and then the Bulls connection here. That that was funny, though. Like, great great on Otto, but that play, like, that's two seasons old oh, or yeah. something, but that was just Yeah, terrific. yeah, yeah. yeah that he was, just lost him completely. That was bad. That was a Shackton moment to remember. So that's going to do it for us here at the NBA Podcast. Uh Thanks, special thanks again to Mark Karanzoulis for joining us. Mark, again, just give readers or listeners a reminder of where they can find you. Uh, so they can hear my voice on the Dennis Podman podcast with Borton, where we talk all things Chicago Bulls. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Again, I won't read out my handle because of my last long name, but um, I'm sure you can find it if you so wish. But And you can follow my writing at Chicago Bulls Confidential. Nice. All right. Yeah, we will. We will definitely include your Twitter handle uh, along <laughs> with the posts, so people can find it there. Uh, be sure. Beautiful. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. Check out Fan Rag Sports, which is where our pod is being hosted this year. Check us out on iTunes as well. Uh, please subscribe, download, leave us some reviews. We'd love to read any feedback. Uh, until then, I'm Brian Tapork. I was joined by Mark and Morton Jensen, and thanks for joining me today, guys. Take care, Brian. Thanks, guys. Cheers. You too. Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in-store or online at TotalWine.com. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.